Backed empowers you to get it together with a single digital wallet. Use Backed to aggregate, convert, send, and spend digital assets like crypto, loyalty, and rewards points and gift cards. Go to backedbakkt.com and start treating your digital assets just like cash. I'd like to also thank Kraken. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com scoop to learn more. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy-to-use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone. No account registration is required. Download Exodus at exodus.com and you're ready to go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. And today we have a very exciting episode for you. Joining us on the other side of the mic is my guest, Manfred Manchev, head of blockchain at Atari. If you didn't know that they had a head of blockchain, well, now you're going to know a lot more than just that. Manfred, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. So obviously Atari has been developing games since the 1970s and is known as the creator of iconic arcade games like Pac-Man, Pong, and Centipede, and published numerous other games like Donkey Kong, Doom, and Oddworld under several other banners. But they also have some interesting things cooking in the crypto space. I'll tell you something. This might be something you'd like to hear. I had a guest on um, probably a month and a half ago, maybe longer, when I asked him what corporates or large publicly traded companies are doing a good job being authentic within the NFT world and the metaverse world. He had some trouble thinking, but he ultimately came to the conclusion that Atari was one of the companies that, that he could fit onto that bill. Why do you think maybe people um, are associating you guys so much so with being involved in this market? And what have you guys done to make that apparent? Yeah, sure. Well, it's, it's always nice to be recognized, to be kind of an early mover in a space that's as exciting as, as blockchain and NFTs. I think it is true, especially among, I would say, the, the more traditional video game companies, so the non-crypto native, blockchain native players were definitely among the first to recognize first the potential that blockchain gaming and concepts like NFTs, like true ownership of in-game assets, digital assets, and ultimately concepts like play to earn might have down the road. Obviously, it's always easy with hindsight to say that the things were obvious. They weren't obvious at all when we started looking at them, but we just saw the potential. And the advantage that Atari has is that although we're a very well-known name in the industry, and obviously Atari partly invented um, the video game industry, as you mentioned, back in the 70s with the old arcade games, so we're very much a household name in the general public awareness. At the same time, we are kind of, at the moment, we're a very small company in terms of, uh, of revenues, of we don't have billion-dollar franchises anymore, sadly. So we don't have 
a cash cow game or, or, or product to protect or a walled garden to protect from potentially disruptive technologies like blockchain or NFTs. And that's why we're always kind of ready to experiment um, from an early day and try to find out more about um, the potential impact of these technologies. Now, the, the way we tend to operate is usually we're very much managing the Atari brand and not limited to, to the blockchain space. When we find a partnership or something that makes sense or people come to us and say it would be cool um, to do something together with Atari, we're always happy to evaluate these proposals and see if they fit with the brand, if they fit with our messaging and what we want to do, and uh, if the deals make sense, obviously also from, from a commercial perspective. And we basically pretty early on started to, um, to have conversations with some players in the space that were very early. One of our first partners is a company called Animoca Brands that you may be familiar with. Um, they're behind games or metaverses like the Sandbox and, uh, and many others now pretty much invested in everything from Axie Infinity to OpenSea. Um, so they're, they've been definitely very early in the space. And so we've, for example, we've partnered with, with the Sandbox way before NFTs became mainstream. And um, as a result of this, of this partnership, there are Atari branded lands on the map in the sandbox. They were very visible from a very early day. People understood the concept of digital land, virtual real estate in the sandbox, and people wanted to actually buy plots of land that were adjacent to the big Atari plots. And saw immediately when these plots came up that the value of the adjacent plots would go up because people um, recognized that the Atari brand and, and image would basically drive people drive interest to, uh, to the whole project. So that's kind of how we got started. And a lot of the things we did so far initially were through partners, because for us, it was obviously also a learning experience. So we had to see what works, what doesn't work, which chains to use. So we did our first NFT drop in October of last year with Wax, um, which was uh, packs of cards um, of original Atari classic game covers. And uh, for us, it was, it was easy to do with Wax because basically they already had a platform, they had a distribution channel, and uh, they said, look, this, uh, this is something we should, we should try. And it was, it, was, it was a successful first experiment, again, at a time when NFTs last year were still very much of a niche product and hadn't hit uh, mainstream at all. And I think from starting to do these first few projects early on in the NFT space, obviously it's a small world. So people get very excited when they see a Chari brand and name associated with it. So um, since then, we've had numerous, let's say, requests for collaborations, um, and uh, we've had to be a bit selective about those. And we tried to basically partner with um, projects that we felt were kind of leading in, in the space. So we did a project with Artifact. It's a very kind of cool, cutting-edge collective of creators um, where we designed virtual sneakers and the other, other wear, digital wearables. So we did an Atari sneaker drop with them in the spring of this year. It worked well, and uh, and I, I'm still seeing to this day people use it on on slides for various uh, presentations where they point to brands getting involved in the metaverse or in digital items or, or wearables. So um, those are just a few examples of NFT projects, how we got there and uh, how we got started, basically. And for us, it's, uh, it's a way to keep the brand relevant. Obviously, for us, the main challenge is... Uh, Yes, Atari has been around for a very long time, but very often we also get the question, what are you guys still doing these days? Um, obviously, the games, um, we bask, we bask <laughs> in the glory of, uh, of, of the old days and uh, it's always a challenge to come up with new games. And a lot of what we've been doing is, um, is kind of um, 
making sure that we're the stewards of the brand and of the portfolio and uh, reinventing the old games that we know are beloved and, and have an audience and everything that we can do to keep the brand relevant. And we recognize that to some extent, the Atari brand, especially in, in, in North America, has a bit of a pop culture appeal. We always appear in, in series, whether it's Stranger Things or Ready Player One or mm. Blade Runner. The brand is always there somewhere. It's just very recognizable. The Fuji logo is very recognizable. So anything that kind of can keep the Atari brand as iconic as it, as it used to be and relevant in the conversation, definitely NFTs uh, play a big role in that. Yeah, it's a way to keep the brand at the forefront of a very competitive industry. Clearly, there is some value. I mean, the thing you mentioned about the land value around these Atari plots is so fascinating to me. I think this must have been a study I read several years ago, but there's a similar phenomenon with Starbucks. We were talking about coffee before we turned on the mics, so I've got coffee on the brain. But there have been studies that suggest that in a urban area where a Starbucks is built over the course of X amount of years, the value appreciates by 20% the surrounding areas of that Starbucks. And it's wild to me how there are parallels between how economics works in the metaverse to how it works in real life. You're, you're talking about this phenomenon of digital land increasing because of an Atari digital land. I don't know if this is something that you've thought about, but it is very interesting how there are sort of these comparisons. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but at the same time, it shouldn't come as a big surprise. At the end of the day, and I know and I recognize that the concept of metaverse has been probably a bit overused these days, and it means different things to different people. But if we go back to the core premise of an online persistent digital virtual world, the basic premise should be that most of the things that work in the real world should also work in the virtual world. And the way an economy is organized in the real world, the same way economies are organized in games, you see it in free-to-play games, you see it with microtransactions and, uh, and things like that, where you actually have economy designers um, behind the in-game currency, the virtual currency, and the sources and uses of this currency and making sure that, the, um, that they're balanced and that the economy actually works. All these same things apply or should apply to a virtual world. So, and I think real estate is one of those things that as much as NFTs and even the concept of digital asset ownership uh, and true ownership through like uh, through the blockchain is still something that's probably very difficult to explain to a lot of people. It's so strange. Can you do me a favor and explain, you're kind of giving like the macro picture there, but if we look at this micro example, of Atari having a plot of land in the metaverse, in Sandbox specifically, why would the value around it increase? Understanding that there's a sort of branding element there, but is there anything that changes in the way that that surrounding area operates or functions that will yield more value? Or is it just sort of Atari's right there, just like, you know, Starbucks is right there? <laughs> I, I think there's definitely some of it is down to kind of natural human instinct that uh, there's a halo effect and that people think that automatically they will benefit from being in proximity and being close. The way a lot of these... Uh, or do they actually? At the moment, it's still too early to tell because even like sa Sandbox, basically people so far 
most of the things that have been happening is actually that um, they've been very good at pre-selling the land and attracting anchor tenants that feel like in order to be relevant in the space, it's important um, to be there. And they've done a very good job. Uh, they've attracted people from or IPs and brands and players from all sorts of walks of work, from entertainment to music to uh, crypto gaming to NFT influencers who all come with their own audience. And, and yeah. the, the challenge will obviously be once everything is up and running, like in the real world again, like like a mall, it's about attracting foot traffic. And that's where the people who are purchasing plots of land that are in proximity, because the maps are so, va so vast, and yes, there will be some elements to be able to teleport from one edge of the map to the other edge, but there's still this, I'd say, old world reflex that you will be able to benefit from, from the incidental footfall that will come to the anchor tenants the same way a mall wants to have a flagship store uh, in the mall and uh, smaller stores next to it are prepared to pay higher rents just because there is a sought after anchor tenant in the mall. So all these things replicate or will replicate in, uh, in, in, in virtual land. And uh, whether the speculation in the end uh, is justified and whether you're right to pay a premium of X for a plot of land that is close to a tenant or an owner that's considered a strong IP versus to being slightly more remote, that remains to be seen. At the end of the day, in order to succeed in these virtual worlds, you also have to offer um, some form of entertainment or product, whether it's 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 a store where you, um, you will go same way people queue up and would go to the ed edge of the world for a particular sneaker drop. I'm pretty sure if you have a plot of land that's in the middle of nowhere, but you are selling a limited edition of a very sought after NFT, people will still find you. So it's not only about location, 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 but I can understand how the initial reflex will always be that. And yes, you will benefit from that in the beginning and then how it will evolve over time, I think is anyone's guess. I don't want to focus too much on metaverse land, but I just find it so fascinating. It's the one aspect that I haven't really been able to wrap my head around and get completely red pilled on, so to speak. In a way, it kind of it's an example of how the metaverse looks more like the real world than Web 2.0, because on the Internet, proximity doesn't really matter in the same way that it might in the metaverse. And in the analog world, location, to your point, to use that common phrase, location, location, location matters so much. But anyway, we'll move on. I think it's super interesting. Now, let's look at how some of these moves, okay, whether it's buying land in the metaverse or doing some of the other things you guys have done, how does it sort of add value to the actual games you guys are developing that are maybe not connected to the metaverse or crypto specifically? Can you kind of put your games there on your plot of land for folks to play what's sort of the linkage there that's a good question and uh, and i think that's one of the key challenges of being a traditional gaming company is to try to take the best of both worlds or to blend the old world with the new world and obviously we, we've seen that uh, you've had some runaway successes in blockchain native games um things like Axie infinity but where the whole gameplay and the economy design is very much unique and tailored to the concept of uh, uh, of digital property and the whole economy behind it is designed in a way to attract people who specifically want um, to be able either to play to make a living like a lot of players do in, in X Infinity 
or at least they want to have the ownership of uh, of uh, of their NFTs of the digital assets in in the game. I think for us, we will always be a games company at the outset, um, and we will always have a traditional games business where we have games that will re release on PC console, um, our own uh, Atari VCS uh, hybrid PC console that uh, we recently released on mobile devices, uh, free to play games, premium games. Um, so we'll always cover the whole spectrum of uh, what I would call is the currently existing large traditional gaming market. Let's not forget that it's that alone is a $170 billion industry. Um, so there's a lot of people who still, they just want to play games um, and have fun. And the blockchain side of things um, is a very vibrant and very nascent uh, community, but it's still very small if you look at the actual numbers of people that really specifically want a blockchain experience. Um, so for us, we don't necessarily need to put out our existing games uh, and blockchainize all of them because it doesn't make sense for every type of gameplay to add blockchain features to it. It makes sense for some games, and we've seen like things where digital ownership makes sense, like uh, card collecting games or things like that. Yes, makes a lot of sense. For an arcade game um, like Asteroids or something we have, you'd need to find actually a way where the blockchain feature adds something additional to the player playing the game. So one of the things that definitely we want to do is bring our beloved uh, IPs and games um, that we have, that people know us for, into places like the Sandbox or others were, uh, that are very much based on, based on games. So And there, yes, you can add NFTs because all these worlds all revolve around NFTs. And there, you can look at NFTs more as uh, as consumables or cosmetic um, elements that are more a, lo a lot of things that will happen in the metaverse will be people basically want and again very much like the real world people wanting to affirm their uniqueness and their identity and the way to do that is through cosmetic items and consumables um, wearing an Atari T-shirt hoodie sneaker in the metaverse. Uh, on a certain day, and then on the other day, maybe you want to wear something else, like in, in the real world, and that's materialized through NFTs. That makes total sense. The game experience in itself, whether you connect the NFT to give people access to certain game experience, that's something that we're very interested in exploring um, further. And I think that that will be a mechanism that will be more and more used. So I don't think people should just look at the NFT as something that's a nice little collectible item. Um, that you have in your wallet. Maybe you showcase it in a gallery online. And yes, you can do that in, in the metaverse. And uh, I'm a big collector of NFTs myself, so I can see the attraction that. But I think that that's just scratching the surface of the possibilities of what people can do with NFTs down the road. And I think ultimately NFTs will basically signal that you're part of a tribe, of a community, that you have access to certain events, features, um, or at least that you will know about them first, that you will be kind of in the inner circle of so-called super fans. And that's, I think, where the real power of NFTs lies. It's that it allows you to really directly connect with your core audience, with people who are really passionate about your brand, about what you're doing, whether that's for a brand like us or for a creator, a musician, an artist, um, a performing artist. The same rules will apply to, to everyone. Anyone that has an engaged and passionate audience is able to basically make these people feel even closer and even more part of, uh, of a community um, through NFTs. Um, and also it is a way for a lot of uh, creators um, to 
directly monetize um, this audience without there being any middleman, which is another thing that uh, a lot of people underestimate, just the power of, uh, of cutting out the gatekeepers, the apples, the Googles, uh, different storefronts that, uh, that exist around the world. And then, well, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, this is, I imagine, and I want to hear about how you guys made the decision to get into this market and the journey that it took to get there, but that's kind of the main point, right? How can we sort of have more access? And that's what the metaverse, these digital plots of land can give you is access to more users. You don't have to rely on being in the storefront for them to sort of engage with Atari. You don't have to rely on some of these third-party middlemen like the Googles of the world. You're just there with them and there's no barriers. I mean, you kind of mentioned teleporting and whatnot. They're all just there in the metaverse and you can engage with them directly. So was that the pitch when I imagine you were kind of the maverick there at the firm? Was that the pitch to get buy-in from more senior executives? Look, we don't need to rely on some of these third parties that we normally do to get our games in front of people. We can meet them in the the metaverse. I don't think we we have to frame it as a pitch. Luckily, like it, it was something that was that was kind of embraced from the very top of the company throughout the genesis of these various uh, experimentations that that we did to see exactly kind of could this work? Could this be something for us? What works? What doesn't work? So. The whole firm is, has always been very positively inclined towards, towards this thing. It wasn't there wasn't any kind of hard pitch to say we need to be in the metaverse. I can imagine that if you're a traditional Fortune 500 company, that's a very hard pitch to convince uh, executives uh, as to why you should think about metaverses, NFTs, uh, and digital worlds and digital assets. For us, it was a very easy kind of discussion uh, internally, and it was something that again. We saw always, and we still see it as additive to everything that we're doing. And again, our, our core mission is to be the stewards of the Atari brand. We're celebrating our 50th anniversary next year, and we want to keep the Atari brand relevant for another 50 years, at least, if not more. And so anything that basically allows us to engage with our audience uh, through different means, and again, showing that uh, we're very happy to embrace more innovative and uh, slightly disruptive ways of engaging with the audience that maybe other gaming companies are reluctant at the moment, or at least they're watching from the sidelines until you have the first couple of billion dollar um, opportunities, and then it'll be too big to ignore. But for the moment, it's very much a disruptive mechanism and all the players that are seeing success, whether it's Axie Infinity or the NFT marketplaces, OpenSea or Dapper Labs, those are all new entrants. Um, those are all players that basically didn't exist five years ago. So that's the way we, we, we look at it for us. It was never a difficult decision to make that uh, we should be present um, in these uh, uh, online worlds and that we should definitely engage with, uh, with our audience and our community wherever they are. And we've actually found that there is an overlap, even though generationally, I think uh, a lot of the crypto native people are, did not grow up with, uh, with Atari consoles or games necessarily, but what we've found very surprising is that even these younger generations, they recognize the Atari name as being one of the OG mm. names in the space. And that kind of something that uh, is attached to the Atari name and has the provenance. And that's also something that is very important in NFTs. When you look at NFTs, the collections and the projects um, that do well 
are the ones, like in the real world, that have a certain provenance, historical cachet that uh, are associated with names that people actually want to have a digital order, trace of ownership of um, and that they want to be kind of a part of in some way. So that's kind of where, how, how we're looking at things. And uh, again, if Pokemon did uh, NFTs tomorrow, which I don't think is going to happen anytime soon, you know that it's going to be massive just because, uh, again, like it's such a household brand. People want to collect Pokemon cards in the real world, but these people and these companies move at much slower paces than smaller players uh, can, um, who don't have so much vested interest in protecting kind of uh, the goose, the lace, the golden eggs at the moment. What is keeping them from making a move like that? What are the main impediments? They don't necessarily have the you know, the, the chip on their shoulder per se. Yeah, I think first of all, when you when you have a business that is printing money, it is very easy to just sit back and reap the rewards and just continue doing what you've been doing for the last 10, 20 years. There's also the fear of you don't want to rock the boat too much and kind of uh, maybe cannibalize your traditional revenue streams too much. And then to, to a certain extent, obviously, you need to understand uh, and be open to the technology that's behind this whole revolution. And there, I think, uh, as we, and as you've seen a lot of discourse that people have around uh, around NFTs and uh, and and a lot of uh, skepticism, or at least kind of uh, uninformed opinions being voiced uh, very often around around NFTs. I think the main impediment right now and the main challenge is actually educating people about. First of all, the underlying technology and the possibilities that they open up and then how to leverage them appropriately and how we can integrate them into pretty much any of these existing businesses without cannibalizing your game or your, uh, your economy or your, your audience completely. But most likely you will actually expand your audience and you will monetize it better than, than you did before. But that's something that will take time, I think, for people to, um, to come to grips with. And then again, it's a cultural thing. I think the bigger the organization, um, the more friction there is, the more difficult it is to take these kind of radical decisions. Uh, so it will always be the early movers and the smaller players that will lead the way. One day you will have a big player that will take the plunge. And I think that's when the floodgates will open um, because as soon as you see one of your direct competitors do something, then suddenly you get pressure at the board level, say, these guys are doing this. Why aren't we doing something in this uh, in this space? Uh, where are our blockchain plans? Where are our NFT plans? So uh, hopefully that will come, but it will take time. And I can completely understand why it's not something that's imminent and why most of these players so far have been very cautious. And to some extent also, the whole space and digital assets. I mean, cryptocurrencies uh, is, is obviously one topic uh, where a lot of people still have a lot of questions regarding regulations and uh, the landscape evolving, blockchain gaming and NFTs, although I think it's slightly less controversial in terms of uh, the securities element of things, uh, it still gets caught into the larger discussion of, uh, well, this whole space, one way or the other, it has to become more regulated. It will become more regulated. I'm convinced of that. And I think regulation is also and clarity around these things is actually also something that will pave the way for, for increased adoption. At the end of the day, the biggest problem right now for the consumer to get involved with NFTs is the onboarding mechanism, is how do you actually get from your fiat-denominated uh, mm. um, everyday life? And a lot of people might say, yes, I would actually 
like to collect some NFTs, but I don't know the first thing about it. And when you start telling them about, mm. you need to open an, an account at a crypto exchange, you need to convert your dollars to, to ETH, you need to um, set up a MetaMask account. You just lose 99% of the people somewhere in the process and only the most dedicated will make it through. So I think the UI, UX and onboarding experience that needs to improve. But there I have no doubt that uh, that will change. Um, and you already have people like Dapper Labs with NBA Top Shots show how many people you can actually onboard when you kind of eliminate that whole crypto friction from the beginning, when you just basically say, sign up on our on our website, create an account. Uh, you don't even know that you have a blockchain wallet. You can pay with your with your credit card. And that's basically how you create a million users within kind of your first year operations and having a desirable household name like the NBA as, uh, as, as, as a leading brand. So that's, that's a way to do it. And I think we'll see more of that um, going forward. But clearly, it's been something that, uh, that has, I think, uh, kept the space from becoming more mainstream. I mean, if you look at the active people that trade NFTs and OpenSea right now, the latest statistics, I think we're less than half a million people. It's like three, 400,000 wallets. So we're very early in this, in this whole movement still. Back is the digital wallet of the future, empowering you to manage all of your digital assets from a single place. Back puts the power in your hands to get your crypto, loyalty and rewards points and gift cards together to choose how you want to use them. Treat your digital assets just like cash and convert, send or spend them using Back. Get started today and get it together with Back. Sign up at backbakkt.com. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Now with the new Kraken app, it's easier than ever to buy and sell over 60 of the most popular cryptocurrencies on the go 24-7. Simply download the Kraken app, connect your bank account, and start investing for as little as $10. Just a minute is all it takes to get started. I also want to give a special thanks to Exodus. Exodus is one of the most loved crypto apps due to its sleek design and easy to use exchange feature. Secure and manage over 130 cryptocurrencies from your computer or phone and interactive charts let you view the price history of a specific asset and your portfolio's performance over time. Sync your wallet across multiple devices to access your funds from anywhere. Maybe the best part is Exodus is integrated with the Trezor hardware wallet, making advanced security easy for everyone. Download Exodus at exodus.com today. You kind of delineated there the challenges for users of these platforms to engage with the NFT market. That's one of the big impediments to seeing this adopted more widely. But there's also challenges for the game developers themselves when you think about blockchain-based gaming, play-to-earn model gaming. You're not just thinking, all right, how can I create something that's fun and engaging for a gamer? but also thinking, how can I create a robust economy around this game, a robust you know, financial underpinning that keeps the merry-go-round going? How do you think folks can achieve that latter portion? Because even if you have a fun game, if the incentives aren't there, if the rewards aren't there, it fails. I completely agree. But I think in that perspective, blockchain gaming as it will mature will be or is no different than traditional gaming at the outset. 
it is very hard to make a game that is fun, engaging, um, and that has all the attributes um, that you mentioned. And um, when you have one of those uh, in your hand, then you've usually hit the jackpot um, and it becomes very sticky. And that will be the whole challenge. And I agree that just having a game based on play to earn, if the game is not fun, yes, uh, as long as some people see financial opportunity, they might pick it up, they might even grind for a while. Yeah. Um, but that economy will never sustain because in my mind, for these kind of games to, to sustain longer term, you need both sides of the equation. You need, because a game mm. at the end of the day, it's still a game, it's a fun experience. So it's, it's perfectly fine to offer people the opportunity to make a living, especially in, uh, in developing world countries where that can really make a big difference to, um, to their, their, their financial well-being. But on the other side of the equation, you need your traditional gaming audience, the people that are happy to spend hundreds of dollars in Fortnite on V-Bucks for cosmetic items or that are buying packs in FIFA um, or that are spending it uh, on Call of Duty, um, who are happy to spend money in a game that has a blockchain economy and an open economy because the game is fun and they, don't, they may not have that much time to actually grind in the game, but they want to level up and they're happy to spend some money up front. Same way in most free-to-play games, you have less than 5% of your player base that is actually a paid player um, and everyone else mm. uh, is, is, a, is, is a freemium player. Um, but these paid players, they say, okay, I'm, I like the game. I'm going to spend some serious money up front so that I can basically get into the game quickly and have a satisfying game experience. But the game still needs to be fun. And that is that is basically the, the core challenge of any game designer, whether it's traditional games or blockchain games. Blockchain games, I think, initially could get away with the fun part and they get a pass. If there is some core game loop that is engaging enough, people are happy to give it a try just because you're going to make some money. The novelty factor is, is strong enough and because there is a financial incentive to do so. And yes, with, as long as the incentives are there, people will come to your game. But uh, as, as you mentioned, you cannot have something that is subsidized and where the incentives are not sustainable by people that are actually prepared to spend real money in the game. And so you need to get to a game economy that is self-sustainable. And, uh, and that goes back to what worked in traditional games. Like when you look at World of Warcraft, those are the kind of uh, examples. And there was a time when, when you had those server farms in China where they would basically have people grinding and then there would be some <laughs> illegal black market trading of, of items and, and, and characters uh, until uh, that got basically shut down. But that just basically shows the exactly the same dynamic that you have on, on the one side, people that are happy to basically, with the right incentives to play a game, not necessarily just because... Uh, they enjoy it, but because it becomes a job. Axie Infinity for a lot of people in the Philippines has become their day job. And on the other, but on the other hand, you have the people who actually love the game and uh, they just want to get ahead in the game and they're happy to spend some money in the game. That's what uh, what I think the ideal um, future of a lot of these experiences should look like. But uh, it's a it's a difficult balance to to get right, and not every type of game lends itself well to um, to this kind of experiment. So we'll always have more casual games mm. and something like Among Us that came out of nowhere, that's a super fun game for people to play. You don't really just like see a lot of blockchain elements being able to get attached to that. Yes, maybe you can customize your avatar so you can you can have the cosmetic element of it, but you cannot build an economy around something like Fall Guys or, or, or Among Us. Um, so there is certain types of games and categories like role-playing games, um, uh, collectible games, uh, 
battlers, these kind of things where it does make sense. And that's why you've seen the first experiments and iterations in, in these types mm. of games, but they still need to make them um, fun and, uh, and, and have basically a longer term engagement. But what, what is true is that incentives in the, in the early days, incentives basically rule and incentives can fix a lot of, uh, defaults live by the incentives and die by them i like your point which is basically that not every game will be blockchain based but when you look at the ones that are do these incentives does this sort of financialization of gaming of these games does it just make this all gambling difficult to say if it makes it all gambling i mean for me, gambling, first of all, is uh, is a game of chance. So mm, I don't versus a game of skill. Yes. So at at the outset, these games they should be or they usually are skill games. So uh, some people will be better than others. Um, but I agree on on the financialization of things. That that's something that I think is already inevitable and has already been ongoing. And the blockchain games just basically. Are, are a perfect vehicle for that. And yes, you, you might see some, some excess uh, on, on that side of things, but it's just something that's at this stage inevitable. And again, it's still so early that people at the moment are very happy to try everything out. Let's see what has staying power and let's see once, as we said, like adoption increases and you get a more representative population of people who play these games at the moment. It's hard to say that the people who play blockchain games and play to earn games is necessarily representative of a real broad spectrum of the people that play traditional games right now. So once your adoption curve increases, then you will see what works and what doesn't work. And people will basically, their taste will dictate like what they're ready to, uh, to accept uh, under the premise of uh, financial incentives and where it has to stop and needs to also kind of just still stay a game um, and if it's something that is drifting purely towards gambling or lottery then yeah i agree that doesn't sound like something sustainable and uh, again if it's something that goes towards a direction where it's it looks more like a pyramid scheme than uh, um, than a normal game again i don't think that that's something that uh, the general population will uh, will will agree to and also that's something where i'd say traditional gaming companies will never lend their names to experiments like that that's why if that industry is to grow and if we are to see the big players enter the space um, with their IPs and uh, and offer NFTs and digital ownership, it will be made in a way um, that is a lot more, that has to be a lot more thoughtful. You don't want to be seen and cannot be seen as being involved in some financial, like uh, purely financial scheme. That's mm. that's that's the risk. I mean, you already that's where really you run into trouble. You, you already see it with loot boxes in in traditional games where people say, okay, and it's not about like running pyramid scheme, but it's again, it's the financialization of these things, and it's uh, kind of preying on people's propensity to uh, to have this impulse for for gambling and buying packs of things where they don't know what's going to be in there. So 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 even EA has been attacked uh, in many different countries here in Europe about the mechanics of the loot boxes for FIFA for the most popular games. So you have to be very careful with uh, what you can and cannot do as, as soon as it basically becomes a financial discussion. Yeah, you have to toe a fine line. Well, this has been a really interesting conversation. I want to close things out with just how did you get to this point, you know, your personal journey, and then what are some of the goals you have 
for the end of the year. What do you want to achieve before the calendar year ends for Atari in gaming and crypto? I think uh, the end of the year is uh, is around the corner. So, so yeah, so we try to have a little bit more of a longer term uh, planning horizon when we um, when we embark on uh, on our initiatives. Um, but clearly, um, for me, NFTs are are, are front and center of uh, what I'm spending my time on trying to figure out how to crack this nut and uh, and how to basically bring the Atari audience and the wider audience uh, into the fold. So that's that's basically what, what we're focusing on. So we, we will have more to say definitely before the end of the year. So uh, I think we've already alluded to uh, in the past to our interest in basically all, all the examples that I gave you previously uh, that we did in the NFT space were through together with third parties. And so the logical next step for us now is to decide which parts of the value chain and of, of, of that actual, actual business we want to operate ourselves. And we've clearly identified NFTs as, as a sort of a gateway drug um, for people from our traditional gaming audience to bring them into the blockchain fold. Um, so we, we are working on, on our own plans for, uh, for an NFT platform that is to be seen as a storefront and where we really want to basically bring the Atari community and also the, the NFT and blockchain community at large is interested in, in what we're doing into the space. We want to make the onboarding and user experience as easy as possible. So we really do not want to have this as a crypto native project. Um, that's really part of our mission is, is kind of evangelizing people. And we know that we have a lot of history and, uh, and, and IPs and, and things that we can do with NFTs and we are very happy to to try a lot of different things and also to listen to our, our audience and to what people actually want from us in the NFT space. We're very open to uh, to really making this uh, a collaborative effort, um, but that's kind of our, our, our core mission um, in the NFT space is to um, to launch this, uh, this, this platform to start to basically sell NFTs and have these NFTs be whatever people want them to be. And we know some of some people, they really value the historical aspect of things. Um, and uh, as I said, we're going on our 50th anniversary. So there's a lot of history with the brand and there's a lot of collectible things that we can basically bring out from the archives um, and that we know will resonate with, with some people of the audience. But then people know we're a gaming company. So we're really excited about experimenting a lot more with gamified NFTs, with NFTs, um, that you can collect, but that then also basically give you certain privileges, access um, that we can link to our existing core business, to our traditional games, to our VCS, the console business, um, to some of our licensing or third-party licensees that uh, we where we have in the works. So we really see these projects as as something that uh, can be like a gateway to um, to adoption of of NFTs through the Atari brand. Are you guys going to buy more land? Um, so the, the second, I would say, second part of the blockchain business um, will always be, and this is still third-party licensing or partnerships. And so we've established, as I said, partnerships with, with a lot of the existing bigger players, Sandbox, Decentraland, or blockchain games, like said, Run, uh, it's a horse, horse racing game where we, we had some, mm -hmm. some Atari branded racehorses that, uh, that were sold. So that is something that, that will, will continue. And 
we have given out uh, some licenses for um, for for metaverse uh, projects, uh, and one of, one of which is uh, is going to to unveil some more details uh, in the foreseeable future, where there is an Atari component to it. Um, but this is something that uh, we are not managing on our own. So these are third party projects uh, where we're happy to um, to be associated with because again, it furthers our mission that is. We want to be relevant. We want to be present um, in uh, a number of different projects. Uh, at this stage, it's impossible to make an educated guess as to which project is going to be more successful or, or less successful. For us, it's really about uh, being associated with a number of, of different worlds that usually tend to have different priorities. The sandbox is more gaming related. Decentraland is more a little bit like a, a virtual second life. So it really depends on... Uh, on this is something for every taste. Um, and uh, that's kind of how, how we approach the, the third party licensing aspect of things. Yeah, different strokes for different folks. So how much land do you guys own in total? There was a time when we used to be one of the biggest landowners in the sandbox map. Um, I think we have over 30 different parcels of varying sizes. Some of those are very large. Um, but the map has been growing quite a lot. Um, so I know that by now there's a lot of other folks that have uh, have ha, they're sitting on quite substantial land banks uh, there. Um, <laughs> and again, for, for us, the objective was never to be a, kind of a virtual landowner or even less to speculate in these things. Uh, the presence and the land basically gives us the possibility to design and offer our own vision of what we want people to experiment uh, or to experience in, in that particular world. So it's really up to us to make that happen as these worlds develop and, uh, and grow and obviously have synergies with uh, a lot of the other um, very cool participants that are in these spaces because uh, it really has to be seen as, as, as an ecosystem where everybody wins when, uh, when, when these things take off and when, uh, um, when you reach a certain critical mass. And as, as in the mm -hmm. real world, there's different audiences for different, uh, for different people. Um, so. We, we just basically are very happy to be involved uh, with these projects. And, uh, and for us, it's, it's, it's almost like having a store on Fifth Avenue. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like a prestige uh, kind of shop window that we know and hope a lot of people will, uh, will browse by and pass by and be intrigued by uh, what we will be able to offer uh, inside and uh, hopefully check it out once everything gets built up and, uh, and goes live. Hopefully they will. Well, Manfred digital real estate mogul, I guess we could call you. But um, aside from the metaverse and sandbox, where can our listeners learn more about you and follow you? You can follow Atari on all our traditional social media handles, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. And people want to follow me. I'm on Twitter as well. I tweet mainly about my art NFT collections. I've actually started a practice where I, I showcase one NFT every day out of my mainly generative art collection, which is a little bit of a pet project of mine that I've fallen into the rabbit hole. And I've just really gotten to, to love the community that's, uh, that's behind it, the artists, the people who collect it. So people can follow me on, on, uh, on Twitter. It's mmanchef, maybe put it somewhere in the notes. And uh, my DMs are open. If people want to get in touch, we're always happy to, uh, to talk to people. If anyone has any ideas, projects, things they would like to realize, um, or they think, well, that would be really cool. Um, if we could do that with the Atari brand behind it, always happy to have a conversation and uh, and feel free to uh, to get in touch with me. 
Sounds good. Manfred, thank you so much for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be back with you soon with another episode of The Scoop. See you next time.